0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Tales of Tamriel. I am your humble host, Ejelos, and with me this evening, I have my lovely co-host, she who feeds on your tears, the slayer of all Dwemer spiders, Thais. How are you doing tonight, Thais?
1: I'm doing quite well. I'm always excited for a new show because I can't wait to see how you introduce me. It changes every show, so that's, that's always exciting for me. <laughs>
0: try to switch it up every week to add a little something, but uh, I was actually sitting there, it's sad, for a couple minutes, uh, trying to figure out exactly what I was going to say to you this time, because I already used the crusher of spider eggs, and I want to do something about your fear of spiders, and unfortunately, the only thing I could think of is the Dwemer spider, so for next week, it's going to be a challenge, I'm going to have to sit down one day, and do nothing but write down little taglines for you, and I'll just, like, cross them off every time I use one of them,
1: (laughs) I'm actually surprised you keep mentioning spiders because I do have severe arachnophobia. So last week when you said that, I was I was quite shocked that that was my introduction.
0: Well, I could have went you know frantic crusher of spider eggs like ew ew ew, ew spiders. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, do we have a show for you this evening? First off. Uh, I did want to mention that we are in the process of moving um, our site to a new hosting service. Uh, the move is done already, like all the content and everything is over there, uh, the server's up and running, but I just wanted to let everyone know that this is what we were doing in case there were any hiccups. I know earlier this week uh, I had a slight hiccup with the, uh, the iTunes feed. Not ex- exactly sure why, but it seems to have retired the old feed and created a new one even though the RSS feed address did not change Um, I know I needed to resubscribe uh, to our podcast on iTunes and it actually showed that I had two Tales of Tamriel in my podcast list but only one of them was updated the new one was updated when I searched on iTunes only one came up so any new new subscriber should be okay I'm not really sure what's going on there um, but it only seems to be iTunes subscribers that seem to be affected. I checked uh, checked on Stitcher Radio and Podkicker, and there were no duplicate feeds there. Um, so it must have just been iTunes being screwy. I did want to apologize for any inconvenience this has caused to any of our fans. I'm sorry about that. I'll make sure that uh, does not happen again. Uh, the feed is moved, so it shouldn't happen again. <laughs> um, but anyway, the... Uh, the uh, the new host is actually gonna be really cool because there's some big changes to the sites that I uh, will be coming in the next couple weeks. The new host provides us with a lot more control than we had before. Uh, I mean, I have access to a full server now versus just a web panel. Uh, I can do all sorts of cool stuff with it. so uh, expect some changes um, on. Tamrail.com. But please be advised that there, as of right now, because I have the framework out there, but not a lot of the content, a lot of it's still sitting there in draft form, but several pages are still blank. The main page is still going with the feed, and that's fine. The other ones are just blank until I can finalize the design and uh, put them out there. So please bear with us while we work on that. Lastly, and for fun, NDA has lifted yay nda gone so we have a fun-filled beta discussion show planned for you guys so why don't we uh why don't we just get into it right now um game news we'll go over this real quickly creating eso anchors came out um face did you uh, see this article
1: I did. I, I really loved reading it and everything they went through to try and make the, the Dark Anchors an epic experience for everyone traveling around the world.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I love these creating creating ESO articles they, they come out with. They do it from time to time whenever they uh, release some new bits of news or they want to highlight a current aspect of the game. And this particular one was on the Dark Anchors. Um little lore side of it is apparently these are from uh ball and he's created these giant world-rending constructs as the website says that are used to um used to pull Nern into cold harbor so that's yeah, kind of crazy it rips a hole through the plane of uh, oblivion and trying to merge our two worlds together which is Kind of neat, and if you've played uh, Elder Scrolls IV: Oblivion, um, it's kind of he kind he's kind of going the opposite way because uh, in Elder Scrolls IV: Oblivion, Mehrunes Dagon was ripping holes in in the uh, fabric of Oblivion and invading Tamriel, whereas Mole Ball's too lazy to do it himself. He just wants to pull it into his realm. He, he doesn't want to leave home apparently, so uh, kind of lazy. Anyway. So, since the NDA is lifted, we can say that we have been in beta, and we have been enjoying these things. Have you run across a dark anchor yet in beta?
1: I actually haven't. My beta experience has been pretty much me going, oh, what's over there? Quest? Oh, no, what's over there? Another quest. Oh, wait, what's over there? Another quest. And then I just kind of get lost in the world. So, I have not seen an actual dark anchor yet, although... I I can't wait to run into one, especially since in reading this article, what I'm most excited about with this is to hear the the sounds that they have created for this epic experience. Because from what they say, it, it's supposed to give you the perfect oh no, it's the end of the world soundscape. So I am I'm I'm really excited to hear the music and the sounds that they have. Uh, created just for these events.
0: Yeah, let's let's check out what uh, ESO has to say about this. I'm going to read this for you guys. It says, when they uh, set out to create the Dark Anchors, they had very specific goals in mind. They wanted them to be an immediate, obvious reminder that Tamriel is in danger, something that we as the players uh, see in the world Uh, to make you realize just how dire the situation is. They wanted to include more challenges for small groups and provide more options for gameplay activities. When you see a dark anchor, it gives you a chance to say, oh, I'm gonna go check that out, explore a little bit more of the world and experience a formidable encounter that will encourage you to team up with allies. From there, who knows, maybe you'll go back to what you were doing before, or maybe newly formed a group. will go on an adventure together some more. There's some screenshots here in, in the article as you go down, it says, in our first few iterations, the anchors were smaller than they are now and much more local. As we continued working on them, uh, they felt they didn't have the impact of the world-threatening magical machine should. So they started taking on some difficult technical challenges to give them um, more of a huge scale that they deserved. They wanted to see... They wanted us to see them from a long distance, and the closer you got, the more you wanted to feel like the world was ending. Um, then they said, they really cranked them up, creating an impressive cultist summoning event and scaling up the art and effects to enormous proportions. Of course, sound is a critical part of the Dark Anchor experience, as Thais was going on. She... Uh, what does it sound like when a huge Daedric construct tears a hole between Tamriel and Oblivion? Their sound designers knew what they had. They had, they had to get it just right, and they, want, and they worked to carefully combine sounds to create that perfect, oh no, the world's at its end soundscape. After seeing a dark anchor, you expect to hear metallic sounds like heavy chains, and you will. But you might not expect sounds of pitched-down tubas and freight trains in the mix. That's kind of an interesting sound, to be honest, trying to think of that. But, uh, yeah, so I'm interested to see the sound stuff as well. Um, As we go down the article, I'm not going to read all of this, um, they talk about the rewards that you will encounter from the Fighter's Guild. So apparently this is part of the Fighter's Guild uh, quest chain, or... At the very least, part of how you advance in their quest line. Did you see that?
1: Not that the Fighters Guild interests me. I'm more of a Thieves Guild, Mages Guild kind of person.
0: Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that's I I like the Fighters Guild, so that'll be fun. A lot of uh, special achievements and special cosmetic gear, apparently, from advancing in the Fighters Guild through this. Uh, so, yeah, I've actually run across the dark anchors and Thais. You've seen me run across these when we were doing the beta events. Don't you remember me? uh, or um, heroically walking up to one of the monsters, attacking it and then going. Oh, dear. And running away. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you have the tendency to, when you see something, try and kill it yourself. Which, when you were reading the part where it says, you know, find allies to help you, I'm thinking to myself. Or you could be like Ag and just try and kill it all alone and then die ruthlessly multiple times in a row.
0: Well, I'm apparently kind of a uh, masochist in this regard. Masochist is the right word, right? Yes. <laughs> all right, I wasn't sure. I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, I like inflicting pain on myself. Hence why I've been playing on Legendary, apparently. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I know in one part of, of these dark, dark Anchors, they actually work in phases where the first few phases are a little easier and as you're going through them, different waves come out and they get harder and harder as you go along. Apparently, the Dark Anchor that I stumbled upon during beta had already had a few phases of it done. And when we came into it, I was already up to the boss encounter part, I guess, because I guess the people who advanced the quest line or the, the the dark anchor that far had given up and left, and I just happened to stumble upon the uh, daydroth that was coming out, and I could not take it by myself. All right, well, uh, do you have anything else on the dark anchors? Thing?
1: I really want to try one out, but I definitely want to try it out with allies because I'm not brave like you. I'm the kind of pew pew behind a rock person so there's no way I could do it on my own.
0: (laughs) What is that famous line? There's a a thin line between bravery and stupidity. I think I tend to try to go in brave, but it ends up being stupid because I end up dying. It happens. Alright. Um... Next part of our game news: There has been a swarm of hands-on impressions since the uh, NDA release. Um, again, we talked about this a little bit last last episode because we talked about some of the PVE impressions, and um, th- most of them are not very positive. Uh, I I don't even want to I don't even want to do the honor of giving names of some of the reviews because I really don't think they should even get the page views from their rather shallow reviews because it doesn't even sound like they've ever even played the game or really care they're just trying to get some views so i'm not even going to go over that but a lot of them have been pretty negative for the first couple starting levels um what do you think about the beginning starting level of beta
1: it's hard to judge any game in the first within the first few levels because nothing is truly open to you so to even give a An opinion on it in, in any way is still kind of shallow even if it's positive because there's just not much you can do in those beginning levels But that being said, I thoroughly enjoyed my beginning levels Because even in those early levels, there's just so much to see and so much to do As I've said multiple times, I got lost 10, 12 times just walking a few feet because the world is so alive and rich that there's there's people calling out to you, and there's towns, and there's bandits, and there's caves, and there's things to gather. So I personally enjoyed my first few levels, and I can't wait to reach higher levels to see what else the game has in store for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it, it's it's just the first couple ep- first couple levels. Yeah, I'll I'll say. It starts slow, but to be honest, I don't think it starts as slow as some MMOs, so I don't see what their complaints are.
1: I don't feel like it started slow at all, especially with how active the the intro or tutorial section was. I mean, it, it places you right in the game, and as soon as you start off you see all kinds of people running around you, and you're in a cold harbor, and you're really questioning what's going on around you, it immediately sucks you in to this world that that you already feel the impending doom with how dark and dreary the beginning section is. And then as soon as your soul is released back into the world, there's immediately all kinds of options. Now in a game I've played wow for many years and the beginning levels of wow are absolutely dreadful it's it's boring there's not really much of a story there's nothing going on there's all kinds of go for quests go for this and go get that and go kill 10 of these that's it's just boring i in no way felt bored from eso not at all
0: i'd hazard to say wow's boring up until you got into the the Lich King stuff where they really got into questing. So pretty much the first 60 levels were boring to me. It just, it was, I didn't find it very, very fun at all. That was the grind that I had to get through. Um, all right, we're going to skip by this section cause, uh, I really want to talk more about this, but I don't want to steal from our other section. So the next part of the news was the press had an NDA drop for PVP, uh, this week as well. And, quite the 180 that was done from their hands-on uh, PvE reviews for the first 15 levels, their PvP reviews were actually very positive. Have you seen any of these?
1: Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And it, it looks like it's going to be very difficult. The, the PvP videos that I watched, it looked chaotic, and there was just people... Groups of people swarming, other groups of people, and with the active combat system in this open world PvP, it's not something that, it's just not going to be face roll. You're actually going to have to try, and you're going to have to watch all of your surroundings. It's, it's going to be something that's, that's difficult and in-depth. It really is.
0: Yeah, I uh, I saw a lot of the different PvP videos, and most of the people were saying how much fun the PvP was in this game, uh, in Cyrodiil and whatnot. And uh, it actually brought back pretty fond memories of me for Dark Age of Camelot, because that's what it felt like to me. I'm sitting in there watching, uh, watching them storm the keep. It was actually one of the videos that was released was from one of the guilds in beta. I can't remember the name of them at the moment, um, but they actually showed. Like you could hear them on, on their uh, on their voice chat program, probably Venner or TeamSpeak, whatever it was, and they were just going back and forth while they were sieging this keep. And you saw them up there; uh, they breached the walls. They were on top of the walls with trebuchets and ballistae and, and and oil, yeah. And they were sitting there holding the walls. They were targeting the one the one gate, and you hear them like trying to keep the people down. You see this guy running back and forth along the wall, shooting with his bow, keeping the enemies from coming up on the side of the wall that these guys had taken over. Um, and then you hear the, the, the guy rally and give a call saying, come over to me. And this is one part that I really liked, uh, they showed in beta is the ability to put markers on the ground. I know Warcraft didn't have that for a long time. Um, but this game, he actually put a giant blue marker, like a big pillar of light on himself. It was like, everyone rallied to the marker. And when they got to the marker, um, the guys up on the wall were still pounding this gate with ballistae and, and, and uh, trebuchets. And they're like, hold on, as soon as that gate goes down, we're going to rush in. We're going to rush to the left. We're going to run up, the, up, up to the ramparts of the actual keep itself. And you see that wall go down. You see all these guys jump over the stairs and run into the building. <laughs> and they're pulling out their weapons and they're running up these stairs, getting up to the, um, oh, what is it called on a castle? The top part. It's the ramparts, but there was like a balcony kind of thing. Uh, and they're all, and they, they made that their holding ground. And they set up there and you see them pouring hot oil down on the flag, trying to uh, trying to keep the enemy at bay. Because um, I know, unlike Dark Age of Camelot and Guild Wars 2, um, the way they're doing their their castles is instead of killing a keep lord, ha- they have different flags in the in the keep that you have to have people to stand on, and it, it kind of like uh, fills a bar saying that you're capturing it. The more people on it, I guess, the faster the bar goes up. I don't I don't know that part yet. Um, but that's essentially what you're doing is you have to hold these, these capture points and after you capture all of them, the keep is yours, which is kind of neat. Um, but they were doing that.
1: I agree with that method more than other methods I've seen, especially in Guild Wars 2, because if you had a big enough group and you served that keep captain, that was it. And no one else stood a chance because... Your group would just ignore anybody in this keep and run straight to that one NPC, and then it was just done. When you're doing it this way, you actually have to organize more to make sure your people know where they're heading to capture each of these flags. And it gives their PvP much more depth to it than it just being one NPC with no HP. So I this this is really interesting to me. I'm, I'm definitely going to be trying this out, even though I'm not much of a PvP person, but I definitely will.
0: Well, I know you liked PvP in Guild Wars 2, um, and this is very much similar to that, because I, I don't think you played Dark Age of Cam a lot, um, which is a shame, because that was an amazing game. It still is, I'm actually. Uh, Off-topic in Rabbit Trail, but I actually got an email saying that they're doing, like, 15-day free trials again i was half tempted to restart my account but uh yeah that's an old school game right there awesome um yeah i'm not actually seeing the capture the flag kind of thing in a keep siege type game they normally always have a keep lord that you have to kill but uh the flags do seem interesting i'm, I'm curious if they're going to and this is speculation by the way if different keeps are going to have different amount of capture points or if they do maybe on different levels or I wonder how how Zenimax is going to break it up that this keep is this this structure. So when you go in here, you have to move people to first and second floor. I wonder if they're actually going to do that or if they're just going to keep a standard template that you know anytime you're taking a keep, flag A, flag B, and flag C are in these locations. Do you think they're going to change that up?
1: That is a really good point. I would say they should change it up because then it's just not a cookie-cutter kind of zerg. You know where everything is. If they change it up, it really keeps you guessing. That would, that would make it much better if they were to do it that way instead of them being in the same locations.
0: Yeah, and it definitely adds a little bit to the strategy and a little bit to the you know, defensive nature of some keeps, because some keeps will be easier to defend than others um, because of their their capture locations. And, you know, whether or not people will complain about this or not, I tend to prefer that, um, that certain keeps are more difficult to hold than others. I mean, and of course, they're going to be scoring for seasons in this game. So to d- uh, determine who's the, the winning side, I don't see why these... Um, These harder to hold keeps, they should offer less points for holding them because they're harder to take. But if you capture them, you should get more points for capturing these hard keeps than the ones that are really, really simple. Uh, I think that'd be a nice scoring mechanic in ways that people could keep up in the uh, alliance war by. If you're really far behind going, well, I could capture that one keep up there in, in Cyrodiil, but it's really easy. It's one capture point. You know, it's it's a Zerg Fest. I just keep capturing an app. It's only worth one point. But if I capture this one over here, that's really difficult. That's worth five. And that will get me a little farther ahead. I think that would be kind of a neat, uh, a neat thing to see. Um, all right. So now we're going to move on to... Our next section, this is uh, the last part of news, which we discussed earlier, was the public NDA lifted a couple days ago. Like, so we are now able to talk about our experiences in beta. And I know we were uh, chomping at the bit there last week uh, because we went over all the hands on impressions and we're just sitting there like rubbing our heads like, really? Guys, this isn't what we were experiencing, but we couldn't say anything at the time. But now we get the opportunity to say something. Um, With that being said, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight, and that is going to be – we are going to combine our story time and our discussion into one topic because I think both of us really just want to talk about our beta experiences, and I mean we can really kind of make it like we do for our normal story times, but uh, this is what – we'll just combine it all into one. Why separate two things when in reality anything we would have mentioned in beta discussion – probably would have been what we wanted to talk about for story time anyway and what we experienced so this is just going to be one giant mesh of story at this point (laughs) um the one thing i will say right off the bat is we 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 will talk about quest and we'll we'll talk about stuff we experienced but we're going to avoid going into the story of we'll be we will be uh vague You know, if we're like, oh, yeah, we had to save a ship captain from, you know, elves, but we're not going to go into the exact story going, yeah, they were trying to do this and they were trying to summon a storm god or whatever the case may be. That quest that, as far as I know, doesn't exist in the game. But we're going to keep away from the exact specifics of storyline quests so we don't ruin it for anybody. But we will be vague on that when we go through it. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to take turns right off the bat and then we're going to get into a little bit of discussion between Uh, Thais, let's let's do this. For you, I want you to go through and I want you to tell us what you were experiencing and what you were thinking the first time you got into beta.
1: Alright, the first time I logged into beta, so that's really difficult because for the first time I logged into the beta, I think I spent an hour and a half just messing with the character creation because there's a lot of options.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely the character creation is pretty cool. Um, before we go into the story, do you want to go into your story? Or do you want to talk about character creation first as a discussion?
1: You know what? I I'll I'll talk about character creation first because that's that's always something that I enjoy doing very much when I when I'm playing a game. When I'm playing a game, especially in MMO, I like to become my character. Now, this is probably and I can't even say that, because in Guild Wars 2, I was a plant person. I was gonna say, <laughs> this is the first game where I might choose something that's not exactly human, but it's really not. I'm, I'm considering a Dark Elf. And I was actually able to make my Dark Elf resemble me in, in some ways with the hairstyle and the facial features, and I was able to give her a really big, massive booty, which I enjoyed a lot. I, I, I like them bubble butts for some reason.
0: <laughs> And likewise, I was able to give myself a massive booty. And we all know, a jealous with a big booty is a nice thing.
1: <laughs> so I, I spent a long time looking that over. And from the character creation, the models look really nice. You can change like the shape of their hands and their feet. You can really do a lot with your character in terms of what you want it to look like. So that... Uh, Right, now I'm going to go into the game, and then I delved into the game. I I I was done with my character, I picked a dark elf, a spellcaster, I think, I think it was just a mage. And I went into the game, and I immediately thought, Wow, these details are really nice. But of course, I was in the very first beta, where there were still lots of bugs, so my f- first time in was, oh man, I'm stuck, nothing's working. So then I got back in again, and my thoughts were the same. Like, wow, this is really detailed, and it looks so nice, and it looks so scary because it's dark and menacing, and it's exactly how I would expect Elder Scrolls to be in terms of the lighting, mostly because it was just—it was, it was dark and menacing. And venturing forward through the tutorial section. The entire time I was playing, I kept rotating my, my camera just to look around at all the creepy things. Because you are, in fact, in Cold Harbor. And then I was creeped out. And oh boy, it was bad. So then um, the biggest issue that I think I had, not, not that it was really an issue. Because it still looked nice. But the biggest issue I think I had was how the character models looked. I I I just did not agree with the way that, th- that their their clothing looked more like it was painted on rather than them wearing it, which to me is a big issue. Now, I play a lot in first person view cuz like I said I like to become my character. So that's really not much of an issue for me. But when I need to be out in third person, I want my character to look like she belongs in the world. And with this rich, beautiful world that exists in Elder Scrolls games, the character models just don't really seem to fit. That was my my initial reaction. So I'm in Cold Harbor, and there's just these, these gross, Monsters that are just attacking. I think they were atronachs. I think, and
0: either that or soul shriven.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. There were yeah the soul shriven. The atronachs I like because they're really cool looking. I do like atronachs. And as I'm walking around in Cold Harbor, because in some places it was kind of kind of watery, and all I can picture in my head is wow this must really smell bad in here. <laughs> So while I'm walking around, I'm actually getting this feeling that I can't I can't smell anything, but I, my character must be thinking it can't smell very good in Cold Harbor.
0: <laughs> actually, and the funny part is during part of that one quest, you actually walk into the what they call the Undercroft, and that was one of the first lines uh, Lydia Titanborn says. Going, man, they didn't talk about the smell. <laughs> So, yeah, your your character's thoughts were probably very true on that. <laughs> wow,
1: look at that. I'm, I'm pretty intuitive. I, I refuse to read any quests because I did not want to spoil it for myself for when I actually launch into the full game. So I read as little as possible. I honestly couldn't even tell you what the storyline is except for you're in Cold Harbor and you're just, you know, an empty shell. Other than that, I don't know. So then... I'm in Cold Harbor, and again, i, I it's, its you know, kind of stinky, I'm, I'm holding my nose, walking around on my toes, because, you know, I'm getting my feet wet, and I don't like that. And then, you, you get to the part where you're finally able to leave, and it was really quite awkward for me in real life, because my, my heart is pumping, because I'm just so thrilled to get out and see the real world, and... The, the The doorway is there, and you're you're just about ready to leave. and I'm just I'm so ready to see the world. And that's that's where'm I'm, I'm going to leave off for now in in my adventures and in Elder Scrolls online.
0: <laughs> well, I'll go over my part because what I was thinking about doing for this is we will go back and forth and we'll talk about our different beta experiences. But I figured Cold Harbor would be a good stopping point Then I could go over and talk about my experiences of character creation and, and Cold Harbor. And then we'll touch on the uh the the three starting zones because we did all of those. Um and then I know we spent a lot of time in the Evan Hart pack, so I really want to explain some things on there. So we're gonna we're gonna do like a zone per zone kind of your impression than my impression. That's why I tossed you that little note that says Stop at Cold Harbor <laughs>
1: It was actually really hard to, to finish talking because he's over here scribbling on my desk as I'm trying to talk. So I'm trying to talk out loud and read at the same time. It was it was quite.
0: Yeah, uh, I apologize, guys. This is uh, we I have a rough outline for what we wanted to talk about here, but we were so excited, especially when the news dropped. Like i had already all the show notes written when the public NDA dropped and I pretty much if I had them in a physical piece of paper, I would have rolled them all up and threw them out the door at this point. Cause I'm like, Oh, Nope. I know what we're talking about, but, uh, all right. So we're going to go with this method now. So this is very much a, we're kind of adapting as we go along about how we're doing this. All right. So I'll talk about my character creation. And I, I agree with face. My biggest complaint really is the character models as well. And not so much the character models as in the, way they decided to put the armor on now don't get me wrong it looks really good graphic wise like the light if you're wearing metal armor which they wouldn't really know because she never touches metal armor
1: (laughs) oh gross it just makes me feel icky and cold
0: Yes, well, the metal armor is really neat because you'll see it, it like sun will glare off of it and the light, it, it's really cool. Like flame will flicker off the metal parts. It, it's Graphic-wise, it's really neat. But I know what they did was they were saying they designed their characters in a way that um, a whole lot could be on the screen at once. That's what they wanted. They've rated their game up to two hundred people on screen at once for their lowest setting, I believe.
1: That's why I couldn't really be too harsh, because I understand that, and I think it was a good decision to make sure that there's enough people in the world for the people to feel, for the world to feel alive. It was a smart decision. That, but that doesn't mean that in my head I'm not going, oh crap! I wish it looked better, because I, because I do. But it was, it was a good decision on their part.
0: It really was because here's um, one thing I'll put in contrast here is like the armor, for instance, is part of it doesn't look like sometimes it feels like it looks like it like you said painted on versus um, really kind of showing each individual plate, each individual. But another game that did this Gil Wars 2, you could see each and every plate, you could see each and every little joint and facet it looked really good. But they had an issue, and this was a big issue for them. A lot of people were complaining about it, the dreaded culling, as they called it, where your game client could not render as many models as were coming on the screen. So if you already were in a party of 50 people, you would run into what they, they were actually calling them a, a Zerg bomb, where what they would do is they would make everyone sit on top of a portal, and they would have one person run out, into the group of enemies and open a portal. And your entire team would go through the portal and land right in the center of all the enemy players and then do any kind of AOE you had. And you would actually be killing people before they could see you because their game client wouldn't register that you were there. Um, So that was a big problem Guild Wars 2 had for a long time. And if I still remember, still does have a problem. They tried tried to adjust some of the calling
1: They they adjusted how many people could go through a portal, which effectively stopped them from being able to do that.
0: Oh, from the portal bombing. Yeah, I know they did that, but I I was talking about the culling in general. I think that's still like one of the things they had. They had to do is they had to show nameplates. Like they made nameplates show up that you see nameplates first. They actually did something that was pretty similar to what Elder Scrolls is, is they they loaded a basic generic model like they would load the first 10 people you saw on your screen in their full decked armor. But other people had placeholder models. Um, In my case, I was a a human guardian, so they would load human guardian model one, which was very basic. You could just tell there was someone there or in Thais's case, Silvari model one, and that's what you got. It didn't show any of her unique customization. It just showed that there was a player there. Um, and I know that was a big problem in Guild Wars 2. Um, but one of the things you can tell is the way they designed it. Is I have a pretty beastly rig. Faith and I both have beastly rigs. And did you notice that when you were running up to people. How they looked kind of. I don't want to say fuzzy. But like their their uh, armor models got crisper as they rendered in. Like You could tell what they were wearing but it was kind of generic looking up until they got pretty close and then it rendered all the way. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm.
1: I actually did not. But again, I have the attention span of a goldfish. You know, look, a castle. I love castles. <gasps> oh, look, a castle. I love castles. So I'd be looking at the one person and then I'd look off to the right and see a bird and then a butterfly and then a piece of grass and then, oh, the person's there. So that was not something I actually noticed. But that's that's pretty interesting that you did notice that
0: yeah i it it really you could notice it a lot when there were a lot of people around normally if it was just like me and you running by you rendered in really quickly but now if it was you and 20 other people or if i was standing in the middle of town with all the npcs and stuff that's when i started to notice the uh the lower rendered models and then they got better as they moved in um, it, it's a neat neat suggestion, and I know Thais and I both run on less than superior internet connection, and I experienced almost no lag during the thing. It was amazing.
1: None. I did not lag once, except for maybe the very first login to the game, the very first beta, but that's to be expected. Can't complain about that, but... They, they really did improve with each new beta, you could feel the improvements as you were playing. And the experience just got better and better. And there really was just no lag, none for me.
0: Yeah, and like I said, we, we're running on DSL and it's very bad DSL at the moment. <laughs> it's one of our uh, one of our giant hates. Um, so we, we feel lag pretty, pretty profoundly in this one. It was very, very few and far between that I had any kind of lag spike that was noticeable for me. So it was their their net infrastructure is really well done. But um, all right. Back to character creation. The actual character models, excluding the way the armor's presented. presented. Um, and again, armor looks really good once it's fully rendered and stuff like that. But it does have that sense of being painted on rather than yeah, your character doesn't really look any thicker for wearing heavy plate than he would if he was wearing cloth. So bear in mind with that. Now, again, that may change coming down the road. Um, They always do graphics updates. Normally, after a few years, the game's been out. So there's always room for improvement. Um, I doubt it will hamper anyone's gameplay, really. But the actual character customization is really, really neat. Um, they have face sliders, which are similar to if anyone's played Rift. Rift has been one of my favorite games for character customization because when you log in and you look at the face, you have a, um, a triangle. It's a face triangle. And If you guys are unfamiliar with how this concept works, the, the three points of the triangle represent uh, a very extreme facet of a character face. So the very top is a very thin face, a the the lower the lower left hand side is a very fat face and the right hand side is a very blocky kind of muscular face. Now, anywhere you move inside this triangle, this in this entire inside that triangle, you can move so you don't have to pick an extreme. You can move it inside and get okay. I want it to be a little thin, but I want to be a little muscular in, in the face, like the the skeletal model in the head. This is the way I want the head to look. Or if I want it to be very muscular but a little bit towards the thin, the V you know the V chin kind of shape or the blocky round face. It, it's really neat how in depth you can get for the face, and that's just the skeletal model of the head. That that doesn't that doesn't really dictate what you can do later because you have to go down and you have to you can refine it further. But as you go down the list, you can adjust like the different eyebrows. You can adjust your cheekbones. So then you go further into your character model that you've designed and go, okay, do I want to move my cheekbones up and down? It's very much a almost more robust system than what Skyrim had. Skyrim had a lot of sliders and stuff of that nature. Now, this one does, too. I'd say on par, maybe slightly more. Um, I will say this, though, concerning uh, the Elder Scrolls Online models and Skyrim models. The first thing you're going to realize is the art style they've chosen for this game is a weird hybrid. I won't say weird hybrid, but a hybrid between the hyper realism of Skyrim and the artistic kind of painted style of, uh, I'll say, Guild Wars 2. The one thing I noticed right off the bat is when you zoom into the face, the faces are very, um, very sheer and very, very intact, if you will. Like when you looked on uh, Skyrim's faces, like you could tell, like they had pock marks and stuff like that and laugh lines. These ones are very <laughs> sheer models, like an MMO model, like the. The pretty faces, if you will. They do. I, I had a hard time making a an ugly character in this game. In Skyrim, if you increase the age slider, your guy looked ancient. He really did. This doesn't really have that as much.
1: There is an age slider, but the, the biggest issue I had with that was it only aged your character's face. The rest of your your, your character's face could look, you know, 410, like you were all knocking on Death's door. But you had the body of a 20-year-old. And that, to me, was just a little strange. It, it made me feel just awkward looking at that.
0: You know what that reminds me of? That, uh, <laughs> that episode of Avatar. <laughs> um, Avatar, the la- or the last airbender. Where he has to fight, he has to pick one of the one of the guys. He's like, so I can pick anyone I see in front of me. And there's these two really muscular mercenary men and the old king. He's like, I choose you. And the king goes, all right. And he takes his robe off. And this guy's got like a 12 pack. I'm like, oh, dear heaven. <laughs> it made the other two guys look terrible. <laughs> That's just what went through my mind.
1: Wow, now all I can think about is the last airbender. Thank you. Tension span of a goldfish. You can't do that to me.
0: All right. Um, the other model sliders are really neat. Like They have a lot of cool things as you go down. They got body tattoos. You can increase the size of your hands and feet for Crying out. Loud. I don't know any other game that you could do. Yeah, I had really big feet, by the way. So I maxed that slider out.
1: Imagine clown shoes because that's that's probably uh, about the equivalent.
0: Well, when I uh, when I shove my my boot up someone's bum, I want them to realize that's what I did. That's why I picked the big feet. <laughs> All right. Um, the other thing that I kind of liked, and I like they stuck with this, is the hairstyles. The female hairstyles look neater than the male hairstyles like in terms of a modern mmo they kind of got like the braids around it it looks pretty if you will um faces did a little face so maybe she disagrees with that oh she's shaking her head yes do you really disagree with that
1: i i really do i feel like they could have done more for for both the male and female hairstyles to make them look Better because I'm I'm not gonna lie I, I like my characters to look pretty I really I, I do I just really want them to look pretty and it was really difficult for me to find a hairstyle that embodied how I would want to look in this world the the only there was only one hairstyle that I was able to choose on a bunch of different races that I felt looked pretty the rest of them were just just Ew, Ugh, I didn't didn't agree with them.
0: Well, see, this is the part that I I disagree with you on, is I like that they're not pretty, because the Elder Scrolls universe is not pretty. So I'm really glad they stuck away. Like, I noticed there's mohawks in the game, but they were in Skyrim, and they, the way they design them looks okay, but I'm glad they didn't do any, like, the, the stylized faux hawk, the biff, you know, the, the modern hairstyles for, like, guys and stuff. Like, the emo haircut, I would have been... Very upset if they did that kind of stuff because it would pull you out of the Elder Scrolls universe because the Elder Scrolls universe is dark. It's gritty. It's I, I shouldn't look like I have perfect emo hair with highlights. I don't know about you. It's just, you know, uh, we play Final Fantasy uh, 14 and that world's different. It, it's OK. They have hawks. They have the emo hairstyles. They got the hair dye, whatever. But that's the that's the world they created. Um, and they write into the lore that, oh, yeah, whatever. We have hair dyes. We don't care. Um, but I think that kind of system really would not fit in the Elder Scrolls universe to be able to dye your hair. Like I got highlights. Oh, I got a feathered hair look. No, you're you got sheep shears and you cut your hair. That's what you did in Elder Scrolls. So (laughs) that I am upset because I can't get my faux hawk because I love those things, but I'm happy that it's not there because it stays true to the lore. So, yeah.
1: I have to agree with you there. If, they real, if I was able to have a bubblegum pink, you know, double buttons on the top of my head, that it just really wouldn't fit. So even though that's just me going, oh, the hairstyles, they're just, they're just ugly. I understand why. And I'm okay with that. Because there was the one hairstyle that I like that I'll probably use if I do four races the one I'm going to keep choosing
0: likewise I found one that I thought looked cool so I kept it and actually you'll be seeing some screenshots loaded up on tales of of beta that I've been in that I wanted to highlight and they'll be up there so you'll get to see the hairstyle that I chose um but yeah the character model is really really neat so I I think they did a really good job again our only real complaints not the character model so much as the armor model the way they decide to portray armor um i'm kind of hoping that they'll take some beta feedback and not i'm not unreasonable game's too close to launch it's not changing for launch i'm prepared for that but i would like maybe by the first expansion maybe the second expansion that they uh relook at the way the the armor fits on guys and find maybe figure out a way of keeping that Keeping that server stability, the reason why they went with it, but upgrading so it makes it look like you're actually wearing armor. So um so after I create my character again, this took me a while, and the worst part is come launch. Um if any of you guys are gonna want to play with Ace and I, we took off for the first week of Head Start. Don't expect to see us in the main game world for probably the first three days, just FYI. Um I spend a lot of time making my character. I will sit there and stare and adjust the cheekbone slider for an hour if I have to. It took me about 45 minutes to create my character for beta. And I really just, I spent no time. I felt like it was nothing at all. Cause I just wanted to get in there and try. Um, and each time a new beta comes out, we've been in five or six betas or so it, it's been, we've been in it since, uh, about middle of last year, I think August or September. I can't remember. Um, and each time I go through just to see if they changed anything up and they pretty much kept the character creation roughly the same, maybe a few minor tweaks, but, uh, yeah, so 45 minutes was short for me and I get into the world and of course, cold Harbor, the, the prison scene that you're all, everyone's used to from an elder scrolls game. It seems, um, And it's really neat because you're in there like you can get in the first person, you pull your fist up and you look around your cell and the voice acting and the environment in in Cold Harbor is amazing. When the voice of the prophet comes up, like as you walk near your cell, you hear him and it's voiced by uh, the guy who did Dumbledore. We talked about this like two episodes ago. Um, It was really neat. You hear him, he's got that commanding voice, and uh, it's just the atmosphere of the place, it is creepy. You walk through Cold Harbor, and there are like, it, it, it is a literal hell. When you go in there, you see people like you see skeletons chained to the ceiling over uh, steam vents. They were being tortured like people were chained above these hot burning steam vents and were literally essentially boiled alive without being in water. You go through, you see piles of skeletons and 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 uh, skulls. And oh, it is it is dark. You hear screams in the background you hear the clash of fighting because you know you're escaping. It's it is a dark, dark world when you're inside that that cell, um, and that first section is pretty neat. It, it's the standard tutorial section within Elder Scrolls, and each thing you go through they uh, have you pick up a weapon type and you're kind of limited to whatever weapon you you want during the tutorial don't worry for the people who are going to get this and go what I can only pick one weapon up because I know the first time I got into beta the very first beta I did I ran up there and um, actually no it might have been the second beta because the first beta that I was in didn't have the cold harbor scene yet they hadn't had it you just started in, in uh, one of the starter islands Um but I ran up and went and grabbed the weapon and I'm thinking like in normal Elder Scrolls game, I should be able to pick up all of them for the tutorial. They limit you to one. So pick one that you're going to want to level with for a little while. It's only till you get out of cold Harbor. The second you get out of cold Harbor, you'll be able to pick up something else and carry them all with you. If you want, that's actually what I plan on doing. And that's going to really suck because you only get 50, 50 slots to hold arm uh, weapons and stuff. And, and gear and, and loot. So I have a feeling the first, however many slots I'm going to need for one of every weapon type is going to be used up. So I'm not going to, I'm going to have to run back to town every like three seconds to uh, unload. Cause I can only ever carry one piece of loot and then I'm full. Um, but I think I picked up a two handed hammer and the first beta that I was in my major complaint was that the combat did not, it felt too floaty. It felt too, You know in Skyrim, when you swung a two-handed weapon, your guy was committed. And some people don't actually like that. I've heard complaints about the combat in Elder Scrolls Online because they don't like that that wind-up. They want that fantastical, you know, being able to swing a hammer around in a circle above your head and bring it down in, in two seconds. I actually like the combat of Elder Scrolls Online because they stick to that realism. A person cannot flip an eight pound hammer over their head in a, in a whirling motion like that and do it more than maybe one or two times before they're tired or do it in a brief second there. It's not, it's not going to happen. So I'm glad they went with that, but that was my very first complaint in the first beta. And, and as it went on, the combat just got better and better and better. And it felt more like I felt committed. I swung like the net one, of the next betas I was in, I was prepared for that floaty light combat and I went and did a heavy attack and my character lunged forward and I couldn't stop him. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! And there he went. And then I got a big smile on my face because I'm like, oh, awesome. <laughs> um, so combat I really enjoy. If you like that fantastic, fantastical combat where you know you have the hot bars, you, your, your guy swings his sword around it tosses up in the air and brings it down catches it and then thrusts it in that anime style sword fighting, you're not going to find it in Elder Scrolls Online. And if that's a game breaker for you, then I think uh, you're not going to like this game. But if that's a game breaker for you, that's kind of sad. One thing about Cold Harbor, and I will say this is a public service announcement that is subject to change. Loot in Cold Harbor, because... All those chests, they respawn. And that's the one thing about Elder Scrolls that's not going to be very familiar to a lot of people who play modern MMOs. Uh, modern MMOs are very Care Bear. There, I said it. Everyone gets their fair share of loot. Everyone can tap the mind nude. Oh, la, 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 we're happy-go-lucky. No, it's not like that in Elder Scrolls Online. Everything is not instance to your character. Everything is... If someone gets there in front of you, well, you're SOL, to be honest. And you have to wait for that node to respawn, that chest to refill, that monster to respawn. Yes, the monster fighting, they want people to feel cooperative, so you will get your fair share of loot there. But if you're going after maybe a rare monster that spawned and someone else killed it, then you have to wait for a respawn. There's no no chest or something that you can just go up and loot because he died now. But uh, for those of you who actually want to spend some time in there... You can really stock up. And in each beta, they've added more stuff. And I, in the most recent beta, the one that, um, that they opened up for the NDA to lift, <clears throat> they've increased the amount of items that are in there. If you want to get a jump start on crafting, if you want to get a jump start on collecting lot picks, spend an hour or so inside Cold Harbor, inside that first zone or inside the Undercroft. It's going to be boring. Um, I don't think it's boring, but after an hour of running around in a circle, looting chest, uh, anyone could say that's boring, but you'll come out of there with a load of crafting materials. You'll come out of there with a load of um, picks, which one of the big complaints I heard from one of the uh, less subpar reviews was, I'm out of lock picks. Where do I get them? They're kind of hard to find out in the world from what I noticed. So do yourself a favor, guys. Stock up. Get yourself lockpicks. It's not going to hurt. And <laughs> for those of us who like to make a little bit of money in the economy, since, at least as far as I know, at the very beginning of the game, you'll be able to make some money pretty quickly by selling lockpicks if you farm a little bit to the, the people who rushed through that starting area and ran out of lockpicks. So you can really you can really price gouge for for lock picks and stuff like that so i know that's what i'll be doing um <clears throat> so you'll probably see me spamming and shout at some point after i do come out of out of a cold harbor going selling lock picks. you know 20 gold per lockpick or however much i decide i want to spend at that point in time and make some money at least to start off so um that is my cold harbor experience uh we're gonna move on to the next part is the starter islands and i'll go first we'll talk about the different starter islands and how we what we felt about them and and things like that each one of the things i think that's jarring for people who played elder scrolls games then came in this mmo is the tutorial generally in Elder Scrolls games is the prison and then you're unlaunched into a larger world. From what I've noticed in The Elder Scrolls Online, they take a little bit longer to get you into the world. Essentially, it's probably about the first uh, 8 to 10 levels until you get out into a truly big and open world. Because Each zone has a starting island that you get onto. Okay, For the Ebonheart pack, it's uh bleak bleak fall or uh bleak rock isle i think that's what it's called strose Mackay for Daggerfall, and um oh crud i can't remember the alamari dominion one something ruse but who cares they're a bunch of dirty elves anyway um these islands are generally small and i take them as a get used to how we do things now they're still bigger than what most people would think like I think I described this to someone else I was talking to, and they're about as big as an entire hold in Skyrim. So, like the entire hold of of Falkreath, our White Run, our our Winterhold, our the Rift, our East March. That section, it in terms of walking from one side to the other, you could probably do that in Skyrim. Like if you pick the Rift, for instance. That's about as big as the starting islands are the rift. So, I mean, there's a lot to do in these starting islands, but I think they kind of, they kind of get you into their, their, get you into the main story because this is where the main story kind of takes off for you. You learn about the Alliance war, you learn about what happened to you. And generally each one of these quests involve you helping out the the locals in this area. And in true elder scrolls fashion in each zone, there are a set number of quests in the zone, okay? Uh, and there's an achievement for you, achievement hunters out there, for doing all of it. But they give you an option in The Elder Scrolls Online, which is really neat. When you go through, you have to finish one part of part of a quest, and then you get up to the main guy who who's the main starter of this of the island quest, and they go, "Okay." Um, This is what I need you to do. I need you to find these people and tell us when you're ready to go. Okay. So you can pick and choose how many quests you want to do. Do you want to go find everybody and get the achievement? Great. You don't have to though. You can literally go, no, you know what? I'm ready to go. And it starts the next part of that storyline sequence and what happens to you on those islands. So, I mean, that's kind of a very neat, um, very neat idea. Other games have quests like uh, Warcraft, Rift, and stuff like that. The starting islands have a lot of quests. But mostly, very few of them have quests that are meaningful to the main story, or that bring people in and that they help you out later. Um, Elder Scrolls does this. When you help those people, they show up later in your storyline. You don't help them, they will not. They will not be there. So that's kind of really neat to experience in the Elder Scrolls. Um, but I know other games will have minor sub quests that eh, you don't have to do. And you just. But they, they really don't have a lot to tell the storyline. Each one of these other quests, though, have a real deep feeling for the world. And they really get you into the characters. But um, each one of these zones is kind of neat bleak rock isle of course is a very it's off the coast of uh off the coast of windhelm that zone and it looks very skyrim-ish you know it's snow covered it's kind of neat it kind of reminds you of somewhere in skyrim um each one though has its own kind of unique flow and the Daggerfall covenant zone of Stroz makai is a desert type zone it's a big desert and i think one of the big dungeon the big open dungeons if you will and there are um is a dwemer ruin and the the albemar dominion one is actually it looks like a khajiit uh a khajiit settlement of type and the one thing i really liked about the khajiit the um the khajiit culture is they got a really neat inf- or structure. face what do you think about the the structure of the khajiit
1: you know, I I honestly don't know if I played their zone as much as I played the rest. Because that's the one with the dirty elves, right?
0: Yes, it is dirty elves.
1: Then <laughs> <laughs> that I, I did not focus as much in that one because the races didn't interest me. I don't I don't enjoy those races. It's the the dirty elves and the drug addict Khajiits. I did I just I didn't like it. So that's not one that I really remember very well because i just did not have fond memories of it
0: right well i liked it because they got a very unique architecture the khajiit are very it's a mixture of like japanese architecture and indian architecture so you like you walk in it kind of looks like a japanese style house but when you walk in it's kind of got that Indian kind of feel like the drapes and the rugs and, and very lush and lavish. And it, it's kind of, it's kind of neat actually. Um, but we, we play each one of the zones for a little bit. Um, and these zones are meant for up to level five, I think, but you can get off of them earlier. Um, and I believe each zone after this has a smaller zone to go into. I can't confirm with, um, with the Daggerfall Covenant are the Dirty Elves, but after that, there's one more zone which is slightly larger than the starting island, um, and really kind of it shows you some of the harder type combat. I think there's Dark Anchors on there, and after that, which you should be around level 10 or so, that's when you start getting into the Elder Scrolls open feel, the very open. The next zone that I'll talk about after the East goes was a huge zone um but yes that was my experience for the first starter islands and the the subs you near know, the uh the next part which technically i would push the two the starter island in the in the next zone which is slightly bigger as one really about the size of one normal zone and uh i kind of clumped them together Ace, hey, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the starting zones uh the islands the starting islands and, and the zone afterwards if you remember that and uh you n- hit each zone and just tell us what you feel what you thought and how their structure was
1: all right uh, now i'm i'm really bad with names what was the zone with the pirate ship there was no snow Strauss Mackay? Alright, that was the one that I, out of all the other zones, the one that really stuck out to me. Because I just, I have an affinity for pirates. They're kind of sneaky and dirty and I don't know why. I just, you know, really enjoy that. And the zone was very beachy. There was just lots, lots of water and lots of sand and tons of, you know, mud crabs which probably terrified poor Agelos. And it's just I really enjoyed that zone and doing the quests for the pirates made you explore a large portion of this zone just to complete a, a, a simple quest for them. They had you go into this one cave and I'm not particularly fond of caves because normally there are spiders lurking deep within caves and it just drives me insane. But this one quest had you go inside caves and it was just a great first experience. This was the very first zone that I entered into and I absolutely adored it. I I really did and it was really difficult as well because as I explored I oftentimes would wind up at enemies that were way past my skill level and it took a long time for me to realize that in order for me to not die repeatedly by the infamous mud crabs that I needed to mess with my skill lines And as a mage, the skills that you get are just, they're phenomenal. The way that they look that I cannot remember what it's called now, but with the ice staff and you slam it on the ground and this just ice row shoots out on the ground in front of you. And I love, I love mages. Not as much as I love my thieves, but I do, I do love mages. And I'm not really a beach person. I, you know, I'll tell you, I hate going to beaches.
0: Um, the more was that cave you were in? Did it have a giant snake in it? Yes. Oh, that was the dirty elf zone, by the way.
1: Oh, the one with the Khajiit.
0: Yep, yep. I was curious because as you were doing it, I'm like, wait a minute. You asked me about pirates, and I was thinking, like, you end up on a ship, and you are with pirates in the Daggerfall. But the the difference between the story is, you get wound up with pirates on the Daggerfall, and you're helping them. Whereas the 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 dirty elves zone, the Aldmari Dominion, you're being attacked by sea elves. I can't remember their actual elvish name, but uh, uh or something like that. They're sea elves and they're and they're the pirates that have been launching assaults against the esta yeah. That's we were you were doing that zone, that's what it was.
1: Well the reason that I had originally chosen that was because before Agellos told me that the wood elves were disgusting cannibals I actually kind of liked wood elves but then after he told me that that was it I was done I I just want to murder all elves well not all I like the dark elves but the high elves and the wood elves and the drug addict Khajiit they can just all bury themselves in holes in the sand and just stay there and rot and die.
0: They got to be careful, though, when digging themselves holes in the sand because Khajiit, you know, they might bury poop and stuff. Elsewhere is nothing but a giant litter box for them, really.
1: <laughs> but so that, that's really funny because I don't remember the architecture of the buildings because I really did not spend a lot of time in towns. I really didn't. There was... Way too much to explore everywhere else for me to go to a town and spend any time there. That just that just wasn't going to happen.
0: I was quite the opposite. I was drawn in by every... It wasn't just towns, though. I mean, I could literally be on my way to a quest, and I saw a house. I'm like, that's really neat. So I'd hop in the house, and I wanted to see what all you could do in there. And almost every house in the game you can at least go into there's actually very few houses in elder scrolls online that i've experienced thus far that don't have something in them that are blocked off because you know in other mmos they'll have the main houses and stuff like that for quest givers that they'll be open um or this will be here or the, the merchant side you can see the merchants or maybe they have a stand outside but the actual doors to the houses don't open they're just background scenery but almost every house i found in um i haven't found one yet that hasn't been able to go into so again i've only played till level 12 or so on several characters um and been through a couple zones but even so the fact that each one of these zones at least every house is able to go into was pretty amazing to me
1: that just makes me really sad because in Skyrim, I was the type of person to steal everything. I would go into your house and I would steal the underwear you were currently wearing while you were sleeping. That's the kind of person that I am when I when I play Skyrim. But in uh, ESO, you can't. You can't just steal everything. So I, I wish I could. I really do. <laughs> but you just you can't do that. So I didn't... Unlike unlike Acelos, I did not spend a lot of time searching out these houses. I was the person who was just exploring every inch, and in in the, the snow covered zone that was
0: Bleak Rock Isle. Dark- uh, yeah, yeah, dark elf.
1: I remember being in that zone as a dark elf, and I had a quest on. I think like the east side of a mountain. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I decided to just walk around this entire mountain. And as I did, I'm finding all these different nodes that I can pick up, and I can gather, and I'm doing mining, and I found, I don't know, three different chests that I could open. And now, you, there are some places that are blocked off on the mountain, which is fine, but to get to this one chest i actually had to figure out a way to scale part of this mountain on the back side and it there's there's me trying for like 10 minutes to get to this chest and then all of a sudden i see someone else coming up behind me now as Angelo said you have to fight for some of these these items in the game so when i see him i'm thinking oh Oh, I don't think so, buddy. I've been here for eight minutes now trying to get this chest. You are not getting this before me. So I'm jumping, I'm turning my camera, and I'm trying to run around. And as I'm doing this, I'm tapping the buttons to make sure I'm the first one that clicks on this chest. And I got it. I am so happy I was the one who got it. And then there's the task of using your lockpicks to open it. That is That is, that that is quite a A learning experience trying to figure out how to really work these lock picks
0: this is one of the things I wanted to talk about was actually these uh symbols and um th- there are the the different mechanics in the game, and the lock picking is one that is really neat like I like the way they did this. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the lock picking so far, when you when you go in, it brings up a, a the lock picking screen and you see a cross section of the lock. And you have to push down the tumblers in order to get it to push them in the right position and lock them. Here's the trick. For those of you guys who don't play with your sound on, you guys are gonna have a hard time. Cause there is an audio and a visual cue. The visual cue is you start seeing the tumbler go back and forth and wiggle that's your visual cue but that's not everything there's a slight click noise that you hear and that's when you have to let go of the tumbler to lock it in place if you do it when it's just moving before you hear that click it will pop back up so players who don't have sound or get in-game sounds on are gonna have a hard time with lock picking so i thought that was neat
1: I I think it's neat, too. I think that the first chest I went after, that I was able to snag before this other, you know, uh, person came up behind me. Um, now I see, there goes my goldfish brain. What was I saying? Oh, I think it was an immediate, uh, not immediate, an intermediate difficulty lock, and that had been, that's that's the highest, lockpick uh, difficulty level that I had found thus far. So for me, it was pretty difficult, and just like the jealous I spent about, in my Bain, I spent about an hour in Cold Harbor collecting as many lockpicks as I could. So as I'm sitting there, I think I broke three or four lockpicks before I realized how to actually do the lockpicking. And then from that point on, as I continued around the mountain, I found two more chests that were also intermediate that I was able to open. No, no problem whatsoever. But it's just for no reason at all. I wandered around the zone and I wandered around this mountain and the mountain was gorgeous, by the way, just the, the, the snow and the random critters that are just alive. I think I accidentally shot a bunny.
0: You know, what was really funny is I actually contemplated making your title the Killer of Bunnies today. Uh, No lie, I actually put that in there. Killer of Bunnies. I'm like, "Mm, maybe not backspace. That's where we got to the Dwemer Spiderlings. But I did have Killer of Bunnies in there. Oh, and one more thing. I did find a uh, lock that was higher than intermediate. It was in one of the towns in in one of the higher-up zones in Morrowind. And I think Zenimax was trolling me, because when you looked at it, it said, lockpick, impossible. So Zenimax is trolling me at this point, going, nope, nope, can't get in this one. I don't know, soldiers were, you know, transporting. Apparently it was probably full of uh, weapons and armor for soldiers. But it literally said, impossible. And I'm like, they just trolled me.
1: And you didn't try to open it? Because I would have tried.
0: Oh, no, it was a total troll, uh, because the... the activate button was even grayed out it goes nope sorry impossible i'm gonna let you try
1: wow they they definitely did troll you on that one that's
0: yeah because i'm like what the chest probably had like the sort of epic slang of doom you know like you open it and you become the first emperor right off the bat and they were trolling me like who knows what good things were in that chest
1: (laughs) you will never know sadly It just you'll never know
0: Stupid Zenimax trolling me.
1: Now back to this snowy zone. Now I I enjoy winter, I I really do. But my personality is not really that of a Nord. I don't think I I, I should play a Nord, even though they're they're pretty. They're one of the prettier races, because I'm actually very uh, cold blooded and I get cold very quickly.
0: Nord master race, just representing. <laughs>
1: So I don't, in in the cold zone, I probably should not play a Nord, but I did enjoy that as you're walking around this frozen zone, the the rivers and any anybody that has running water actually had the um ah frozen ice on top of the water that you could actually walk on to cross the river instead of swimming. And there were a bunch of times that I could swim across the river, but I didn't because I just wanted to jump around on the ice, so that's, that's actually what I did. And there were a bunch of times as I'm running around this freezing zone and it's, you know, the middle of winter here where we live and we're freezing our butts off, but I'm actually getting cold because the zone just looks so cold.
0: <laughs> i i love love that zone and um it, it definitely was one of my favorites so even though like we both bought the we got the explorers pack and everything like that i've been contemplating making myself go to another alliance just so i s- stand out i don't know it's just the Evanheart pack keeps calling me so we'll we'll get near that closer to launch um are is that all you want to talk about for the starter zones you have more to go
1: well, I'm trying to remember. Let's see, because I talked about the the Dirty Elf and the drug addict Khajiit zone, and I talked about the the Nord zone that I I really enjoyed. I liked the Dirty Elf zone because I I liked I liked the overall tropical feel, even though it wasn't really tropical. It just both zones were just so completely different that you can't help but enjoy them both. For completely different reasons. And they both looked very real. Like when you're walking around in the snow, you're walking in the snow and it, it's crunching and if you were to step on something else, the noise changes, that, that I love. I am a huge fan of, of uh, um, sound in video games and how they go about making their sounds realistic. That to me is a huge aspect of my gameplay And just even the sounds in the zones were completely different. But now that I've talked about those two, for the life of me, I cannot seem to remember.
0: Um, The third zone is uh, Strohs Mackay. It's the desert zone. Um, Do you. I think we played this a little bit because me and you were playing for a little bit. We both made Bretons and we were running around with Bretons. Don't you remember the two of us going into. Because we played that. We actually played this zone. No, no, it was the Dirty Elf Zone. We played that one together longer. That one, we actually made it, I believe, all the way to the the final quest of that zone that would have led us out. Um, we have more experience in the Ebonheart pack, but I know we were playing at different times because um, you didn't get your client download, so we were taking turns playing on my computer that was updated, so we didn't actually get to play together the last beta test, and... Um, but that was the the uh, Aldemar Dominion Zone, uh, Co- Coerthy's Roost or whatever it's called, is the one that we spent the most time in. But we actually decided we wanted to check out the character models on the Daggerfall Covenant as well, and we started one there. Don't you remember the – that's the one where we were aiding the pirates, and uh, one of the people we had to find, she was a smuggler, like you're trying to help out and find out this – You're taking part in a giant heist of some kind. I don't know what it is, and I didn't really go far into it, but there was that one little thief or rogue lady who was always showing up every five seconds. remember she was all in black. I thought she was kind of hot in a kind of femme fatale kind of way. Do you remember her?
1: Always into the bad girls. I actually do remember her now. I do.
0: My biggest... My biggest... uh, landmark in that zone that i remember more than anything else was the dwemer ruin because you had to go in there one of the quests you got you were trying to you were trying to recruit a sorcerer to help you but when you got to him being the altmer that he was uh he he was very into his research and he refused to go until you retrieve for him some schematics from the dwemer ruin and you had to go into the dwemer room that's the first time we got to see these spiderlings for the first time you had to go in there and collect the different different clues cuz someone stole his schematic or thesis and you had to go in there do you remember remember that
1: uh he can he can like totally see the the, the revelation just expressed on my face yes i do remember that and I really, really like that. The Dwemer ruins are always something that are completely fascinating, and and I do remember that. And I remember, th- and the reason I remember it more than anything is because when you said Altmer, and then my absolute hatred for elves just kind of welled up inside me there for a moment. That was really pretty. I liked being inside.
0: One of my favorite parts is when you go in there, it's separated out when you found everything in the main room. Cause this was got to remember guys, this Dwemer rune is not, not as complex as the Skyrim ones. Later ones probably will be later, but the, it's the intro Island. They want to make it pretty simple. Like it, it's the one section is a almost a cross shaped rune. Like it, it's essentially you walk in, it's the shape of a cross where there's different, um, different rooms and stuff like that. You can go into. And once you find all the pieces, you actually unlock the door and go to the next section, which is a little bit more complex. But the neat thing that I noticed is there were booby traps on the bridge, as is custom for any Dwemer you go to fight. When you go on the bridge, you actually see a dead body. They rigged the the bridge that shot hot steam up on the bridge. So you actually had to watch where it was shooting steam up so that way you could walk between the the the, the jets, the steam jets, because certain ones, they went in a pattern. It would be these two, skip the next two, these two, skip the next two, skip the next two, skip the next two, and then go back in the pattern. So you had to be on the opposite one. My only complaint for this, and I understand why they did it and I hope they change it later, the trap didn't do much damage. Like even if you got hit, just like 5% of your life I could see why they made it a little bit uh easy like it didn't take much cause the intro level they want people to get into their game and people tend to get better the longer they play but you don't want to turn someone off if you can't beat the first level of something then people get turned off too easily <clears throat> so I hope the traps later on will be a little bit more um punishing if you don't don't do them right um, but yeah that was one of my favorite parts of that so
1: one of my favorites and I, I can't remember what zone it was in but I can remember the crust that came from it the ruins I really I, I can't remember what zone it was in but it, you had to go into these ruins and you were trying to save this woman's mentor and you're in here And the entire time you're walking around and you're doing this quest, you're in these ruins and it's just, it's dark and it's creepy. When you get to the end of the quest, it actually makes you really sad because the one woman that you've been helping this entire time is saying that she's going to sacrifice herself for her mentor to get out. And it it was just heartbreaking that this person is just ready to, to lay down her life for this other man, all because this ghost is just trying to escape into the world to wreak havoc. And it was just a really cool quest. I really enjoyed exploring this this crypt. The only thing I think they could have done different was... Maybe they, they could have made... But then again, this, you know, to harken back to Skyrim... Make Draugr's pop out. <laughs> You know, make it actually be scary if you're going to be in a crypt.
0: Well, it, that was in the uh, the Yaldemar Dominion Zone. And yes, I do know which quest you were talking about because we were doing that together. Um, I think the, the problem with the what you just said is making them pop out is MMO mechanics, naturally. It's hard to script events when there could be 50 people running by the zone. So...
1: I, I know that in my head like I understand that but at the same time it's just oh, it's not as scary as it could be
0: um, I will say this for you though: there are certain zones and certain quests that are instanced zones like when I went into and this uh, we'll go into a little later um, one of the zones is you go into a Daedric realm of Sheogorath and when you go in there I believe it's instance to your party because there were a lot of people running around, but I was the only one in there for a long time. Like I even I think at one point I forget what it was. uh, I went to go help you in the house with something. So I literally just put my guy on a rock and no one went through like no one and no monsters came, but they do. It is scripted to an event because as like there were no monsters spawning and they didn't respawn after you killed them it was a scripted instance for you and daedra did pop up as i'm walking down the path and i see the 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 portal spawning and imps and scamps running out and Daedroth running out at me so they do later on have that pop out feel for you so you will you'll probably experience something similar but only in the instance uh, story kind of zones but that that was really cool
1: well, good because i i enjoyed skyrim because there was that element of terror which i feel will happen in eso especially when we're trying to complete a dark anchor ourselves and when things start spawning there it, it probably will be terrifying to a point but i scare real easy so
0: yeah um pretty much time that we have to fight giant spiders one of the first dungeons is actually an all-spider dungeon. I didn't tell you that, but it's all spiders. Uh, it's out on Tameral Foundry. They did a did a uh, playthrough of the first three dungeons that um, in each zone and one of them is all spiders.
1: Well you will be completing that dungeon on your own because um, yeah there's no not, not, not kosher in my book
0: <laughs> right. okay. Um, we're going to move on from this section. Unless you have something else. Do you have anything else to say about the first three starter zones? No?
1: Uh, just that I wish my memory was better. <laughs> That's it.
0: <laughs> no problem. Um, we're going to skip the next part of the zone. Because we only did it on Ebonheart Pack. But as I was saying earlier. There's the starting island. And then you advance the story onto a second zone. Which is again only for the next couple levels. Only the next like two levels up to like level eight. It's small and will lead you on to the much larger zones that feel open world kind of, uh, kind of ish. So um, it was like Balmulgan or something like that in the Ebonheart Pact. I don't remember. It was uh, when you first land on Morrowind. And then you go into the next section, the Stonefields, and this place is huge. Uh, did you get a chance to play Stonefields? I can't remember.
1: I can't remember either.
0: Okay, well, then I'll just go over the stone fields since you can't remember what it was. But this is where, for me, the game stopped being as much MMO in a way and became more Elder Scrolls. The zone was huge. I mean, I for the first time I was playing, I was going through this and I had finished a bunch of different quests and things like that. And I I mean, I cleared out a level of the zone because I'm a very systematic gamer um just like Skyrim when you finish a dungeon says cleared in the Elder Scrolls online they have a similar system on your map when you unlock something you get a little black symbol on your map once you've completed the quest all the quests that are associated with that particular area it goes white doesn't mean you can't go back to it but it just means that you finished the quest in that area so it says cleared essentially So I went through this one big zone, and I've been playing for a couple hours at this point, going, well, obviously I must be done with this part of the zone, and I should be moving on. And then I open up my map. I'm like, yeah, this is about the same size as a a Baal Modan or whatever it was called. And then I noticed, hey, my map scroller is only about a third of the way in. And I started scrolling out and out and out. And I realized I'd only completed about a third of the map. So the Stonefields is about three times as large as Bale Moden, which is the zone directly after Bleak Fall, after the starter island. So I was thinking that the the Bale Moden area was the um was what the average standard zone size was, and I actually found out I was very wrong. In fact, Stonefields was massive compared to that. Um so I'm going through the stone fields, and I'm adoring it. I'm getting very into my Elder Scrolls here. Like, I am wandering. It still feels enough MMO. Like, I'm leveling skills. I'm leveling this. I'm collecting. I'm, I'm having a grand old time. But it feels very um, Elder Scrolls. In the fact, I went into a tavern, which actually turned out to be a brothel, by the way. I uh, <laughs> went into a tavern, sat down. Of Dark Elves. Yes, a brothel of Dark Elves, they said. And I, I sat down. It actually let me sit at a table. I did the slash, you know, sit chair, and I pulled out a chair and sat next to the thing. Um, and there was a bard that started singing. And I sat there and I was listening to the music in this game. The bard was sitting there singing songs just like they do in Skyrim. And I adored that. I think I sat there for like two hours. And then like the beta ended and then I uh, got invited to the next beta. My character was still sitting there because they hadn't wiped my character. And I don't know why they did this, but I'm going to have to write an angry letter to ZeniMax. They changed the female bar that was in there singing to a male Altmer whose voice was terrible. (laughs) So I I promptly left that establishment. But there's a lot of lot of adventure and stuff. In here, that you can just go and experience, like walk around the zones, listen to people talk. Uh, I think I, when I walked up to the brothel and I found out what was going on, I walked upstairs and I started seeing this uh, dark elf dancing on a bed with a Nord laying on. To be honest, I thought it was a player trolling. You know how the players, you know, they strip their characters naked and they do the dance. I walk up, it's an NPC. I talked to, and I can talk to the Nord and I talk to the Nord. He's like, dude, get out of the way. You're blocking the show. I'm like, Oh, Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I, 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 I didn't know. And and then I walked into the next room, but there's another one, uh, a topless male this time with a female, like stroking her hair. I'm like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) Either that or go downstairs and ask how much it, cost awesome.
1: which is probably the more realistic thing that happened because you noticed he said he sat there until the next beta so he obviously didn't leave right away
0: i sat in the bar i didn't know there was illicit activities going on upstairs that's my story and i'm sticking to it um the last thing i really want to highlight here for this zone and one of the things that i really like this kind of mechanic talk uh, after i'm done here uh, we'll go on to another section. But one of the things that I loved is as I was exploring, I found a cave. Okay, And when I walked in the cave, there was nothing in it. Well, that's kind of anticlimactic, don't you think? But there's all these different uh, – like uh, like there's a hookah there. There's these different benches over, over the water. It's actually a cave into the side of a volcano, and the lava is hitting the water, so it's creating a kind of sauna. That alone is kind of neat, but I noticed that there is an anvil there and there's a woodworking section and uh, one other one other craftsman board. And um, uh, in my mind, what I thought was, OK, you know what? I'm going to break down a couple of the weapons and stuff that I had. And so I went over there and I found out that when I opened up the menu, it was a special anvil. This I was so excited. I could have peed myself. Essentially, if anyone's played old school vanilla Warcraft, the, the dark iron set and stuff like that, a lot of the, the high level crafted weapons you could make in, in the vanilla world of Warcraft, um, expansion, I guess I should say, did I say Skyrim or did I say world of Warcraft? I don't. Okay, good. I, for a second there, I thought I said in vanilla Skyrim, sorry about that. Um, you actually had to go out to a very specific you could only you could only smelt dark iron in the black forge which was in the center of a dungeon and you could only smelt stuff at the black anvil which again was in another dungeon so in order for crafters to go out there they actually had to get a party clear the dungeon and then they could craft their wares elder scrolls online is bringing that back there when i got there Anything I created, like it would open up my standard crafting menu and I could make my stuff, but it said because you're using this anvil we will add a special um, suffix to your weapon. It was like of the nightfall. This was the only place that you could craft (coughs) of the nightfall uh, items. So apparently you could craft a set of items. This was a, a set of gear that you could create that actually gave it set bonuses and the set bonuses were very stealth oriented. Like, you know, if you had this weapon, it increased the radius of your stealth kind of stuff like that. And the more pieces you had that had of the nightfall on it, <clears throat> the better the stat bonuses were. So crafters in ESO are going to be able to they're, they're not just going to sit in town because if somebody wants a specific set, they're going to go to a crafter and go, hey, I want this specific set that crafter is going to have to gather their materials and they're going to have to go out on an adventure and find those special anvils and those special crafting locations that allow them to craft the items like they normally would. And, you know, uh, uh, an iron greatsword of fire. But it has a special of enchantment This is of the nightfall so that it gets those set bonuses. I adored that and i wanted to talk about this the last beta so bad but i couldn't because of the nda i'm like uh, i was just the i want to talk about this and go i was so excited I'm like i can't wait to tell tell our our fans on tales of tamriel about this uh special special anvil is gonna be so cool but i couldn't talk about it till just now so as soon as the nda lifted it's sad but the first thing i said i'm gonna talk about is this anvil <laughs> So I'm excited because this will be really neat for people to go out and mark these locations of saying, if you want to craft weapons that have this special set bonus, you have to go to Stone Falls and you have to find this dungeon that's out there. That is really cool. Pace, do you do you like that or do you not?
1: I I really do, but I, I'm not so much into the, the anvil thing. But for me, I would want it to be some way that it can be special mage or... Thief equipment, which, that would be awesome. It would make me want to go out and try and find it.
0: Well, there there are. And I only focused in on Anvil because I do blacksmithing. So that's the first thing that jumped to me. But there, I like I said, when I first went in the dungeon, there was a woodcrafting. There was a, uh, like, a cloth for clothes. So, yeah, it, it's different areas. So, but, yeah, so you will find those things. It will be awesome, and you'll love it. But I'm not protecting you.
1: You know, you, you asked me and I told you what I thought because you were saying mostly on the anvil and you see he like, you know, still still had to reiterate, just, oh, just sit over there and be quiet. But yes, I, I want to go around the world and I want to search out all these things because they're there. They are there. And to have them hidden in the world really means that it's not going to be easy. And I don't want this game to be easy, I want it to be something... That that is kind of difficult. It leaves you scratching your head going, now where could this possibly be? So it when I do find it, like I said, I hope it's not a stupid anvil because anvils are loud and you know annoying. I want it to be some other thing that I'm interested in to be able to craft this this unique armor, and then I'll probably be sitting here with all my sticky notes around my TV of all these special locations. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, but yeah, that that's gonna be the end of the art beta experiences for the most part. But I did want to go into one other section. I want to talk a little bit about mechanics, um, particularly the class system. Have you Have you played all the classes or most of them?
1: Yes, I did. I played a lot with the thief class, the, I think the night uh, that's the nightblade. then I did the mage. Now, there was one that I know that I didn't do. And the other one that I did, but I can't remember what two of them were.
0: The four classes are the Dragon Knight, the Templar, the Sorcerer, and the Nightblade. Um yeah. The the thing with these is I wanted to highlight these a little bit because um, the classes in the one thing i like about Elder scrolls is you really can do anything you want but the classes really do augment you in certain ways so if you have a type of play style you like to play you might be better off just going with that particular um class if you will uh the dragon knight tends to be a very heavy fighter if you will they are the the stereotypical warrior melee class they fill that warrior arch type um and um, the Templar is the archetype healer. The Sorcerer is the archetype pure caster. Again, anyone can cast with a staff, but they get bonus stuff. And the Nightblade is the thief archetype.
1: The Templar, I didn't play because there was nothing about it that interested me. It felt too much like. In my mind, it felt too much like a paladin, which I've never played before. It's just not The heavy armor is what I picture it to be. So I didn't even give it a chance because I didn't think I would like it. But the other three that I tried, I did enjoy. I enjoyed the mage so much more than the other two that I tried. Because I liked the, the the action that they went through to cast spells. I liked the way that the spells looked when they were... Being when they were being used to attack after the, the casting, I liked being able to summon my little minion. Just all the aspects surrounding the mage itself, I really enjoyed more than the other two.
0: And I, I'm going to say this: so things that are kind of neat about the classes are don't 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 take them as one thing or the other, okay? Because uh, even in beta, people have found one of the big. The big uh, play styles have been going out are the Dragon Knight Battle Mage, because a lot of the passives that you got from the skill lines in uh, the the class lines that are unique to a class in Dragon Knight augment the Fire Destruction Staff really well. So you actually see Dragon Knights being casters more often than not, and um, the. What I've seen Templars been doing a lot is the bow and the 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 ranged one. I can't remember the name of the skill line now, but it has all the 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 ranged uh, light dots on them. Those have been very popular. And from what I hear, one of the best healers actually is not a Templar, which feels the healer archetype. It's actually the Sorcerer, because the Sorcerer has a lot of passives for mana regeneration and reducing the cost of mana or not mana, magica, stuff of that nature. So there's there's a lot of things that go back and forth. Like the different classes do different things. You can do a lot. You don't have to play a sorcerer and go, I'm limited to uh, destruction or I'm a Templar and I'm doomed to healing for the rest of my life. You can augment and go back and forth. Like just because you're a dragonite doesn't mean you're bound to heavy armor and sword and shield. You know, you can you can do other stuff, which is really neat. Um, do you have anything else to say about classes?
1: I personally disagree with the, the notion that any person can pick up any weapon. If I'm playing a mage, I feel like I should not be able to equip a bow and pew pew arrows at wolves. But again, that's just, that's just me. But in regards to the skill lines, you're not locked. Into anything, yeah. The, the 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 classes have their own class traits, but that is something that again it just adds to the openness that you expect from any Elder Scrolls game. That anything you pick is not is is not cookie cutter. You can build it to be anything you want, which later on is gonna is is gonna breed a lot of different and interesting combinations and i'm i'm really looking forward to see the combinations that the players come up with cuz you're going to be in pvp one day and you're just going to get rocked by some random person that you don't you don't know what they're playing cuz you can't figure out they have a bow but then they're healing and all these different things and it's really going to come to play a lot in PvP, I think more than the PVE aspect of the game. So that's that's something that's, that's going to be quite amazing later on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I definitely agree. Okay, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about beta before we end this our story time discussion section?
1: No, I'm I'm good. <laughs>
0: Well, I have a lot more I wanted to talk, but I'll save that for a later episode going forward because we'll we'll add it in later because I, I can add it into other discussions because I have a few other ideas. And instead of wasting them all now, I'll roll them into other shows. So we're just going to move right along and we are going to move into the dramatic reading. This is Deis's favorite time. She loves reading these books of the Elder Scrolls universe, and I love having her do this. This week, I picked one of my favorite books um, concerning the early, early history of the Elder Scrolls universe. Uh, If you guys played Skyrim and went through the Mage's Guild quest line, you should be very familiar with the book that we picked. This week, we present to you The Night of Tears, an exploration of the Elves' attack on Sarthal. So Thais, why don't you uh, go ahead and read?
1: The author of Night of Tears is Janor Seleth. Sarthal holds a prominent place in Skyrim history, even if most do not remember it by name. It is, of course, the site of one of the first major Nord settlements, one of the first cities of men in Skyrim, and the earliest known capital of their civilization. It was also the site of terrible bloodshed, when the elves attempted to drive the Nords out of Skyrim, to succeed only in incurring their wrath in the form of Isgrimor and his fabled five hundred companions, who swept the elves from Skyrim and firmly established it as the home of the Nords. All this is known, but little else. What happened on that night of tears, when Sarthal was raised to the ground? What provoked the elves to such a deliberate, vicious attack, and what prompted such a severe response from the Nords? vingalmo's trustees on the Altmere antecedents suggest that the elves of the Merithic era, along with their counterparts, the early Dwemer, possessed a degree of sophistication unparalleled in Tamriel. They displayed power beyond what could be expected of the time. While a distinct explanation is not given for this, I believe that this work, compared with the early writings of Hesef, Tereerness suggests that something greater was at work on that night in Sarthal. The true motives behind the Night of Tears have been obscured to us by the passage of time, but I believe this was not a simple war of territory, or of control of Skyrim. I believe that what happened was a significant event based around something very particular. The Nords found something when they built their city, buried deep in the ground. They attempted to keep it buried, but the Elves learned of it and coveted it for themselves. Thus, they assaulted Sarthal, their goal not to drive the Nords out, but to secure this power for themselves. I believe Isgrimor knew something of what the Elves would find under Sarthal, and rallied together his people to keep the Elves from gaining it. When Nords once again controlled Skyrim, this power was buried deep below the earth and sealed away. Time has kept this knowledge from us, but it is my hope that time will also reveal the truth of these words. Every effort will be made to relocate Sarthal and find that which has been lost to us.
0: Thank you, That That is awesome. Uh, I actually adore that quest chain in Skyrim, so I'm actually curious if we'll be able to see Sarthal uh, in Elder Scrolls Online i mean it's going to be in a ruined state because it you know was destroyed a long time ago long before the events of uh elder scrolls online but i'm curious to see what state it's in if we'll be able to visit it all right we're going to move on to the next section here it is our community spotlight and this week's community spotlight i have chosen to spotlight maluka many of you have Most likely already heard of her, but I want to spotlight her contributions to the Elder Scrolls community. Maluka is an amazing artist and composer who has provided us with a lot of her own renditions for many of the Bard songs we hear from Skyrim. She also wrote an original creation called The Beauty of Dawn for the Elder Scrolls Online. I think her voice is amazing and she's really brought a lot of life into the NPC songs and uh, Skyrim and a lot of other games. She does different renditions for others, uh, other video games as well. I think uh, there's some halo in there and uh, a whole bunch of other, other songs she's redone for them. She actually works with a lot of other artists as well, and they do a lot of collaboration work. Um, So if you're interested in checking out her site, you can go to www.maluka.com. Maluka Maluka is spelled M-A-L-U-K-A-H. If you also want to hear her song for ESO, The Beauty of Dawn, you can find it on the main Elder Scrolls Online website under the Media tab, and then you should see a section called Maluka. You should be able to find it there. I want to thank you, Maluka, for bringing such beauty to the Elder Scrolls community. All right. This week, we actually received our first email from a listener, and I wanted to go over this. Um, The first email we got was from Colin, and Colin writes, Hey, guys, I love your podcast, hearing the stories from your games and the book readings. It is very well done, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. Thank you, Colinus. That's very nice of you to say. Um, He goes on to say, I started with Skyrim. Hands down, it's my favorite game. Now, I'm working backwards to play the older games. Can't wait to get into them. And he just bought the anthology the night he wrote the email. Uh, his question is about the Elder Scrolls Travels. Have we had any chance to play them? They look very interesting, but I guess you can only play them if you have an older, engaged phone. Again, thanks for making the podcast first off thank you so much colin for writing to us uh was a pleasure to see the email in there i was very giddy when i saw it um i know thais and i both we we actually neither one of us have actually played these um elder scrolls travels but you know what's really funny is when i first bought morrowind uh, if you bought the anthology, you'll see this. You'll actually see when you're installing the game, it does a little advertisement for Elder Scrolls Travel. So I've actually been thinking about these for a while. So I did a little bit of research on this because you got me thinking about it. And uh, one of the things that I found out was there's actually four game titles that was released under the Elder Scrolls Travel uh, series. Um, it is Stormhold. Dawnstar, Shadow Key, and Oblivion. They were released, uh, in 2003, 2004, another one in 2004, and 2006, respectively. Um, each one was actually developed for Java-enabled cell phones, so it's not just the N-Gage. Apparently, you can play them on some of the older cell phones, a lot of the old Nokia phones, and a few of the old Samsung, before the move to an Android operating system, I believe. Um, As I was looking through it, uh, the Shadow Key was developed exclusively for the now defunct N-Gage. That's the only one that was done only for the N-Gage. The other ones were for older phones. Um, Now, the one thing I wanted to note was from reading going on is actually there was a rendition of Elder Scrolls Travels that was supposed to come out on the PSP actually, but it actually was never completed. Uh, The article I'm reading on here says, a different game than the mobile version titled Oblivion for PSP was never completed. It was unrelated to the Elder Scrolls Travels games in that it was created for the PSP instead of the phone and featured improved graphics and similar gameplay to the console PC versions. However, the planned... It was planned to lack the free roaming gameplay usually associated with the Elder Scrolls series. According to executive producer Todd Howard, the game would have featured 10 levels that look much like areas in the console version, but more concentrated. 18 out of 21 skills from Oblivion were present. There was never any official reason given for its cancellation or even official confirmation that it was canceled, but... Judging from how many years ago it was, I imagine they aren't going to release that. Um, I did notice, and I'm going to hold for this because I neither confirm nor deny this, but there are several websites out there that I'm going to look into that seem to have Java versions of the game that you can get for download. I'm not I'm not going to mention any of them yet because I would like to test to make sure that they're actually legit and not fraudulent. But I would imagine the games are still out there somewhere that you could probably get for, um, an emulator of some kind. because really, they're just written in a simple Java based format. You might have to run it in a DOS box or something like that, but I can't imagine that they're not out there somewhere. And, uh, I'm actually gonna look up and see if I can find if they're out there anywhere, if I can find them without having to uh, dig out an old cell phone or something. So, uh, But thank you very much for the question. And uh, if I ever do find anything, I'll be sure to bring that up in one of the episodes. All right. That leads us to not my favorite part of the show because it's the end of the show. But it's time for our final thoughts. Thais, why don't you go ahead and give us your final thoughts for the show this evening?
1: My main thought is NDA is lifted. It feels really good to get all that pent-up beta energy and information out into the community, that's just oh, a great feeling. And my second thought is, I feel like you chose that book on purpose because you know how much I can't stand those, those particular dirty elves and they were attacking the Nords, which are a part of my favorite grouping of races. You did that on purpose and I know it. <laughs>
0: I was just looking for a book, and I really liked that idea. That's all it was.
1: That's all it was. Well, it was it was a good book. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed reading that. So nice job on the book again. And that uh, was a great show. We got a lot of information out there. I thoroughly loved being able to talk about my beta experience. Finally, I can't wait to talk about it more on the next show. So uh, it was a great show.
0: Excellent. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, for final thoughts from me, I mean, the beta, I've like I said, I was gushing at being able to talk about a whole bunch of different things. And as soon as they said public NDA was lifted, I was ecstatic because I'm like, I finally get to talk about all these things that I've been playing in all these different betas. And to set myself right for a lot of... Um, a lot of the a lot of the bad reviews that were out there that I just wanted to tell people like even in the last show I was like these they're playing a game that I'm not. Like that's what I felt like that they were not playing the same game that I was. So I finally got to sit down and, and talk about what all I love and I hope you guys really really get to really get to come from a, a gamer perspective. Not I'm not getting paid for my uh for my, comp- or my comments or anything like that, this is all from my enjoyment. And I am a very big MMO player. I am also a very big Elder Scrolls player. So you're getting both sides of the spectrum for me. Things that I both enjoy, things that I understand are MMO. Things that don't even bother me that they're MMO. Because MMO systems, I think, need to be in the game in order to provide a certain type of uh, length and to the game that people will keep coming back for because honestly, the single player Elder Scrolls games, if it wasn't for the modding community. A lot of people probably wouldn't be back playing them as often as they are. I mean, they're very large and whatnot, but I've spent almost a year's worth of time in Warcraft in hours. It's been over a year. I've spent about 700 hours in Skyrim. I mean, Guild Wars 2 I spent 700 hours leveling up and, and getting my character the way I liked him. You know, 700 to 1,000 hours is commonplace in an MMO. That's kind of like breaking it in. Um, and it's not very much the case for single-player games. So you got to have those MMO systems that people go in and try to do. If you can finish it the first try, people will rip through your, your content in a matter of weeks and never want to pick up your game again. So I was really glad to be able to talk about beta experiences, but I want to thank everyone so much for listening to this podcast. As always, I love our fans and the people in the Elder Scrolls community, how much you've supported us in this. I'm ecstatic to make more. Like I wanted to make podcast episodes for myself because this is something I like doing, but I was not expecting the amount of, um, Positive reinforcement and support we've gotten from the community, and you guys make me want to come back and do this even more. So I want to thank everyone so much for that. If you guys have any questions, comments, or criticisms, you can do so on our website for the show, which is TalesOfTamriel.com, or by emailing the show. We do have a new email now, which is podcast at com The old email address, Tales of Tamriel Podcast at Gmail, will still work. I just have it forwarded to uh, the other email because our new host provider now, we have our own emails for the show that use our domain. So I decided to kind of move away from the old Gmail address. But both will work. Um, You can also follow the show on Twitter at Tales of Tamriel. Our own Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tales of Tamriel Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tales of Tamriel. Good night.